Monday of our series in the book of James. After this, we're going to start sort of a mini Christmas series for about three weeks. We'll be looking at some of the most theologically rich sections of Christmas songs. And like I always say, there's two types of people in the world when it comes to Christmas songs. There's people who like Christmas songs and people who don't. There's people who have been born again by God's Spirit and made to love His Son, Jesus, and the cross. And there's those who hate baby Jesus on His very birthday. Um, and so, you know, you don't you know, like those Christmas songs. There's something wrong with you. Uh, okay, even if, kidding, even if you hate Christmas songs, trust me, this isn't going to be like we're, look, we're playing a bunch of Christmas songs and looking at the cheesy, most cheesy Christmas songs available. What we're going to be doing is looking at, like, stuff in these songs where there's just, like, theology, like heavy theology and saying, what is this text actually saying and how does that apply to me right now? Because some of the best lyrics ever written, I'm not kidding, some of the best poetry ever written in human history are found in some of these Christmas songs. And so we'll be doing that. But before we get into that fun stuff, we got to finish James. And if you've been tracking with us, you know James has been like every week just making you feel bad, right? Every week just... Oh, you know, you believe, you go to church, good for you, even the demons do that. Pat yourself on the back, stand up and pat yourself on the back, you know? And so I'm pleased to announce the last week is no different. (laughs) It it, it actually may be worse, it may be the worst one of them all. And so we're going to jump right in, but what's really important and why we want to end James and not just jump into Christmas is, even though it's going to be hard-hitting... This is what brings everything together, what brings James together. We're going to be talking about the most significant things in your life and why things like Christmas actually matter. So last time, James, beat us up. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So you get the image? There's some people traveling, making a lot of money, and they're kind of arrogant about it. And James is saying, like, you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. This last line, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And this is the the scary issue that every single person in every single life lived will have to wrestle with. We are all going to die. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Our life is like a blip. You know, and the the older you get, you realize that all the more, right? It's not like the older you get, you're like, oh, I realize how long my life is. Realize, here today, gone tomorrow. James is a guy saturated in the Old Testament. So this line is actually sort of like an exposition on another section of Scripture, For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is most likely having a verse from the Old Testament, particularly the book of Ecclesiastes, in his mind, and he's expounding on it. Ecclesiastes 1-2 says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We actually spoke on this. We did teaching on this book a while back. Some of this might be familiar to you. But we talked about how it's very difficult to translate this Hebrew passage from Ecclesiastes. If you grew up in church or you're familiar with the King James Version or other Bible translations, you might not be familiar with vanity of vanities, but you might know meaningless after meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, 
the word vanity or meaningless in Hebrew is the word chevel. If you remember, we've talked about this once before. Chevel means that which is here today and then gone tomorrow. If you were to picture chevel, you would picture mist or vapor. Remember what James said? It's like James is, is saying like, oh, that Hebrew word chevel, let me, let me open it up and give you the right picture so you can understand because everything's better to understand in a picture, right? So when you think of chevel, think of today when you went outside. What did your breath do? You saw it, and before you could reach up to grab it, it's gone. I mean, you're an adult, so you know better. You can't grab it. But do you remember when you were a kid? Well, maybe some of you. Um, you've been trying your whole life. Just... <laughs> remember when you were a kid? <sighs> you try to grab it. But before you can grab it, it's gone because your breath is fading and fleeting. Do you get that? Your breath is fading. It's fleeting. So some people would say vanity of vanities, everything's vanity. Some people say meaningless of meaningless, everything's meaningless. What James wants you to see and the author of Ecclesiastes wants you to see is everything's like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's not necessarily that it's meaningless or vain. It's just that it's a blip. He later says it again in a different way. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is chevel, and the striving after wind. Everything is especially chevel under the sun. This is a sort of Jewish, ancient, Near Eastern way of saying, if there's nothing above the sun, in other words, if there is no God, everything down here is ultra-meaningless. It's ultra-chevel. There's nothing after this life. One of the best illustrations of this concept of chevel is in the first few pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve, the first humans, have some sons. Their names are Cain and Abel. Abel's name in Hebrew is, take a guess, chevel. What's the story of Cain and Abel? Cain, the brother, kills Abel. So for Eve, her son, her baby boy, Chevel, was but Chevel, here today and gone tomorrow. Now, unfortunately, the only times we really wrestle with these issues, if we're being honest with ourselves, like when we truly reflect on things like death, when we truly reflect on life being chevel, is in times of great loss, right? It's when you lose someone that you love, that you go, man, this life is short. And the sting of death is all the more potent. Man, this life is short. You ever try to comfort someone with these words? And we've all done it, so don't feel bad, because there's truth to it. There's a lot of truth to it. You've said it and I said it, but someone loses a loved one who lived, let's say they lived a long time. Let's say they lived a long, really long time. They lived to the age of 99, 99 years old. Let's say it's your, your father who passed at 99 years old. And someone comes to comfort you and they say, man, at least they lived a long, good, happy life. That's absolutely true, right? Lived a long, happy life, great. But on the other side of it, you know, yeah, 
Man, they lived a long, healthy, good life. But do you know what I would give for one more day? Do you know what I'd give for one more day? One more embrace, one more hug? And then what happens to you? You know, you play the guilt game. Man, I could have done this differently. I should have been, I should have been a better son, a better daughter. You go through all of that. That's hevel. Life is here today and gone tomorrow. You try to reach out for that breath, and before you can grab it, it's gone. We recognize um, this time of year is especially difficult for people who have experienced hevel in the, in the present, or, you know, there are some losses that you never recover from. There's another thing we say to encourage people that's well-meaning, but it's just not true. Like, time, time's going to heal all you know, time will heal this. There are some things that hurt you and hit you so hard you'll walk with a limp for the rest of your life. You'll never walk the same. You're going to walk with a limp, but you will walk. You will walk. And so we have this thing called grief share. If, if you're interested, it's in the handout that just is a, a thing to help you in this time where it's difficult. But life is chevel, and James doesn't want to give you some superficial encouragement. He hits you hard. He hits you real. That's why James is so difficult. The whole book, he's just like, he should start off every chapter with, let me be real with you. Let me be real with you. I thought chapter 3 was bad. Let me be real with you. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is why this stuff is so important. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. And this is why, honestly, this, the award means so much to this church today. Because, like, Christianity isn't about, like, this is one of the big confusions. Like, there's a bunch of rules of things telling you what not to do. Like, you can, if you're a Christian, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Man, that's the easy part. Anyone could, like, do not murder. Well, that's pretty difficult sometimes, but it's like, don't, don't murder. Don't, okay, okay, checklist, checklist, checklist. That's easy, right? Man, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So if you could do something about evil and suffering in the world and you don't, that is sin. That's, that's why all of this stuff matters. It's, Christianity isn't a life of like, you know, we're called to be charitable, charitable people and be nice. Like, especially in this culture, being nice and civil is a good thing. We're losing that art. However, that like, that's not the, it's not just about being nice being charitable. I just want to give back to my community. This world is so ridiculously broken and full of human suffering, it will just crush you if you actually spend time reflecting on it. It will crush you. And so Christians don't just gauge in a little bit of nice things here and there. There is an all-out war. There is immense human suffering and Christians understand our life is a blip, so we want to use our time and resources to actually make a difference while we have a chance. Because human beings matter. 
You're going to get a letter from me this week. I think there's stuff in the handout as well. And if, you've, if you come to South Valley Community Church, you already know this drill if you've been coming here for a while. Every December, we have to raise a big chunk of money above our normal giving. And I'll just be real with you. It's because 25% of all money donated to nonprofits comes in the month of December. So 20 to 25% of all nonprofits in the country, they receive 25% of their budget just in December. So we're no different. We have to get what we normally bring in in tithes and offerings and then an additional 20 to 25%. And so every year we set a year in goal. Our year in goal this year is $200,000 above normal December giving. And that $200,000 isn't, again, so we could just do some some nice things here and there. It's a cosmic battle. And it's going to take time, money, resources, and a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears along the way to make a difference. See, our culture is obsessed with believing they like to do nice things. If you go online, don't. Just stop. Stop. (laughs) It's filled with virtue signaling do-nothings. Everyone points to a cause that you should support. Everyone. And everyone points to some type of evil. Everyone wants to protest this or say this is evil. And it's all easy to do it when you could just tweet it in 144 characters real quick, enter done. But when it comes down to actually getting off our couch and doing something about human suffering, you'll see the the turnout is like this much. This often happens with like some protest that's going to be organized. Like online, it'll have like 144,000 people are coming to this, this thing to go attack this cause. And then, you know, there's like 12 people that show up. <laughs> so we don't want to be virtue signalers at this church. We don't, we don't just want to point to good things and point out evil. We want to do something about it. So in that letter that you receive, you'll see, you'll see some of the victories for this past year about some of the things we want to do in the future. And just prayerful, prayerfully reflect on how you could support us take this mission forward because it matters whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do so for him it is sin <clears throat> this is like probably the worst this is the worst this is the worst it's going to get come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be like evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. It will eat your flesh like fire. This time I'd like to welcome you who might be visiting South Valley Community Church for the first time. I'd like, you know, like to celebrate Christmas, this joyous time with you. It's a time to you know, give back to your community and share God's love. So this, this is kind of cool. L- l- listen to what James says. He goes, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries. They're coming. They're going to come upon you. Then verse 2, your riches have rotted and, and your garments m- moth-eaten. So in one sense, the, the, there's something that is coming, but in another sense, it's already here. This is something in the Bible called a prophetic perfect. And so it's, it's saying something is going to happen in the future that is so true about the future, it's as if it's already taken place in the present. So you're piling up all this rich and wealth for yourself. It's as if it's already rotted away in the present, even though it's still yet to come. And then this image is so dark 
Verse 3, your gold and silver have been corroded. So picture this. you got a big pile of gold and silver. Like, you know, uh, remember DuckTales, that cartoon? He, at the end, he'd, dump in, he'd jump into his gold. Like, he'd die. And that hurt in real life, but the duck would break his head open. Um, but he dies in his gold. So picture all the gold. Your gold and silver, they're corroded. And then picture the corrosion becoming, like, lifelike. And it, the corrosion itself will be evidence against you. But then it's going to eat your flesh like fire. You know, a lot of people try to put, like, encouraging Bible verses tattooed on their arm or something. Like, hey, put that one on your arm. <laughs> How much you pay for that tattoo? Well, you don't want to know. <laughs> you have laid up treasure in yourself in the last days. So what, what's, what's the point of all this? If you have resources to alleviate human suffering to advance God's kingdom, and all you're doing is hoarding resources for yourself, there's a judgment for that. It's not good. And and I'm not saying, like, you can never buy yourself any nice things. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm like, people who know me close, like, I only, it's like like a curse. I only usually like, like, expensive things. It's so bizarre. uh, Because it's not like my normal personality, but so, like, the guys love coffee, uh, at, at the church. I hate coffee. I've been trying to like coffee for years, for years. And then they finally bring some, like, it's someone got a gift from somebody, and it's supposed like the most expensive coffee imaginable. And it was a gift, and they're like, you should try this. And I start drinking it. I'm like, this is good. <laughs> this is good. It's like a curse, man. Just, I want, I want to like, like, the, the cheapest, I want the nickel coffee. Want that? It's like, this is so good. By God's grace, I don't need anything good, but it's like the good. I finally like coffee. But I can't like it. I'd be too convicted because I liked it the same week I read this passage, Drew Dowler. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So I'm not saying don't ever buy yourself nice things. There's nothing wrong with buying yourself nice things, especially nothing wrong with buying like your spouse on anniversary nice things. But where's your heart? Are you storing up treasures for yourself for this lifetime? Or are you using the blessings that God has given you to expand his kingdom, to alleviate human suffering? There's an um, illustration I did as a youth pastor here years ago. And it's, a, it's an awesome, youth pastors love this illustration. I believe the first person to ever do it, so he gets proper credit, is a pastor named Francis Chan. But um, Jacob, can you, can you come up here? And how about you grab this rope and pull it down over there? Okay, hold it. See how far you can go with that. Don't fall. There's some stairs. <clears throat> That'd be bad. Your life's but a vapor. <laughs> okay, pull it real tight. Real tight. Okay. Okay. So picture this rope is your life. Your life. Okay, that's good. That's good. Not too hard. That's right. We're perfect. Okay. This orange part of the rope represents your life here on earth. But if you, believe in, if you believe what the Bible says, and actually if you believe what like 99% of all human beings who have ever lived or walked the face of the earth believe, your life doesn't end here at this point when you physically die on earth. There's something after. And so, I mean, picture the rope going on forever that way. 
mean, you could see Jacob, he's by the door, but just pretend he doesn't exist. The rope goes on forever, eternity. But this is your life, okay? How much of your time, energy, resources, your anxious thoughts, your stress is spent worrying about this little orange blip of your time on earth? Think, I mean, really? How, how much time is like you spend right here? This is like maybe right when you're around my age right here. And you go like, oh man, I really, really have to stress out and put a lot of thought into this part of my life right here. Because after I've worked for this church for 30 years and it sucked all the life out of me, <laughs> I, I just want to go fishing and, and be able to go on vacations. So I'm going to start you know, focus all on this. It's like, you're going to focus on, this, if I could put a little black dot right, really important. This is ultimate reality. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. Who says that? Jesus. Store up for yourself treasures where? In heaven, where the moth can't destroy. And so how do you spend this fraction of your life? It's a blip. It's a blip. You're, we're all here today and gone tomorrow. You know, some of us are at the end of this little blip. And you know how fast it went. You know how fast it went. This is ultimate reality. And so James says, don't, he's not saying, don't ever buy yourself something nice. Don't ever take your family on vacation. Don't do all those things. If, you, if, God, if God has blessed you with the resources to do that, I'm not telling you not to. What I'm telling you is, man, you sure better balance the equation. You, you better make sure that you're not living selfishly. You're, look, I'll tell you this. No one's going to get to the end of the orange and be like, Oh, man, I wish I, I, wish I just would have bought myself more clothes. <laughs> I wish I could have watched a little bit more Netflix. And when you stand before God, I can tell you something that you won't regret. You won't stand before God and say, oh, I wish I hadn't given that money to help those in need. I wish I hadn't showed up at that overwhelmed single mother's house and spent the entire week in fixing the fence, mowing the lawn, and planting a garden bed. You won't regret that. There's going to be a lot of things you do regret. We're but hevel, a blip. Thank you, Jacob. Can you just roll that up for me? I got a, he, 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 I don't even know him. His name not even Jacob. I don't know. I'm just acting like a. <laughs> Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. See, see that? You've lived in luxury, one, two, in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So what's the image? It's an image of an employer who doesn't give his workers their fair wage. And then James says, oh, you've murdered your brother. You're going like, how do we go from like not giving someone a fair wage to murder? Anyone else use exaggerated language like that, where they take a sin that may seem this big and then open it up to be like huge? Does that remind you of anybody? It's Jesus. This is, James, this is Jesus' brother. He's doing the same thing. What, did, what, what does Jesus do? Oh, you haven't murdered anybody. Stand up and pat yourself on the back. I tell you, if you got hate in your heart against a brother, you're in danger of hellfire. 
or every 16-year-old boy's favorite Bible verse. You've not committed adultery. Good for you. I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you're guilty of adultery, it says. So it's, Jesus does this. And what he does is, he's, he's, what he's doing is saying, yes, you, you think you're doing good because you're not actually just committing some external action. Well, that's good, good for you. But the problem is God, only man sees external action. God can actually see the human heart. So even if you haven't acted it out externally, God knows what's in the heart. And so then this exaggerated language is used. The church exists to glorify God, to preach the gospel, to push God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to alleviate human suffering. Now, the question is why? Why do we do all of this? Why? And the answer of that takes us back to Ecclesiastes. Remember, Ecclesiastes said, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is chevel, a striving after the wind. But then the book ends with a very famous Bible verse. It says, <coughs> okay, everything's hevel, 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 hevel. The end of the matter, though, is that after everything has been heard and everything's been considered, how should you live your life? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So remember, he said, everything under the sun is hevel. But then he concludes, there's something above the sun, namely God. There's something above the sun. It's not just materialism. The world just isn't composed of, of atoms. Above the sun, and don't think literally like you go past the sun. This is the ancient Near Eastern thought process. If there's something above the sun, namely God, everything down here under the sun matters. And how do you know his point is like everything matters? He makes it explicitly clear. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed, every deed, everything matters, everything. And so what you do in this life has eternal implications. And man, it's so easy. I'll be the first. I'm the most guilty of this. It is so easy just to focus on this life. Paul says, I'm going to live this life like I'm a runner. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the prize, and my prize is Christ. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Nothing is going to be a distraction. I'm going to fix my eyes on Christ and focus my entire life and energy doing that. Why? Because after this little blip is eternity. Now, the crazy good news is this. Why all the more should we engage in acts of compassion and care and mission and preaching the gospel? It's not just, oh, because there's a God above the sun who is going to judge us one, one day. There's like, it's, that's an incomplete picture. There's a really amazing piece of good news on top of that. See, there is a, a, 
a sun above the sun, if you will. There's the physical sun, which is symbolically like what? A big, bright, shining light. And then above that is, is God, pure light, light of lights, a God of love. But the scandalous claim of Christianity is that the sun above suns didn't just stay above the sun. He enters in below the sun. And that's what this season is all about. That God himself would come down and enter into cosmic battle. Cosmic battle against Satan, sin, death. He doesn't just stay lofty up here. I've always said, if the incarnation is the theological term for Jesus coming to earth, I could intellectually believe in God if he had never incarnated, never come to earth, but I'd have a really hard time loving him. Because you can have a sun above the sun, a God, like an unmoved mover who gives you laws because one day everything comes into judgment. But down here on earth, there's full of suffering. I mean, this earth is so broken. And you can say, God, you stand up there in safety and give us law after law after law and tell us to obey because one day we're going to go into judgment before you. But the scandalous radical claim of Christianity is that he didn't just stay up there in heaven in safety and glory. He comes down in the most vulnerable of ways to be a baby born to the two most unlikely of people in one of the most unlikely of places, to be a poor Jewish peasant, to work hard under the sun, to be a racial minority oppressed by the evil Roman Empire, to become a slave to men and ultimately to be betrayed by those who he loved and to die on a cross. So it's not just God giving rules up here, it's a God who takes the full weight of the human condition, puts it on his back literally and gets nailed to it. Now that's a God you can not only believe in, that's a God who knows exactly what it's like to suffer as a human. That's a God who knows exactly what it's like to, like to lose a loved one. It's a God exactly what it, who knows exactly what it's like to be betrayed, to feel loss. And you say, I can not only believe, believe intellectually in this God, man, I could love this God because he didn't have to come. But he comes to wage a cosmic battle against Satan's sin and death. And the question is, how does he defeat his enemies? He doesn't fight like the way we fight. How do we defeat our enemies? You build a bigger weapon of destruction and take them out. That's how earthly kingdoms wage war. It's not how the heavenly kingdom fights. The heavenly kingdom comes as a baby and grows into a man who doesn't kill his enemies, dies for them. He dies for them. And so Christians then aren't just called to do like nice things here and there. We're called to recognize that there is an all-out cosmic battle and the victims are always human. It's human suffering. And so we're called now in the present to live in light of eternity, to use our money, our resources, our time, and trust me, along the way, a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears 
to do good for God's kingdom while we have a chance. That is here today and gone tomorrow. Chevel. We're in a transition and enter into uh, a song that we've only played once before last year, and it's one of my favorite Christmas songs, and no one knows about it, because it's like one of those songs that like, it's on an album that like only a thousand people ever had, which means it's good. Um, but this song encapsulates everything I'm talking about, is when Jesus entered into this world, it was God's rescue plan. We were all prisoners of war. We were POWs. We didn't even know it. We were slaves, and we didn't know it. And so God begins his rescue plan with a child, with a child. And so as we enter into this song, and then we'll transition into a couple other songs and close, um, this is what I want everyone to wrestle with. Chevel. Don't wait to the, your deathbed to reflect on your life being Hevel. How are you living right now? Are you giving your, your time and energy to the things that matter? I can tell you as a pastor, I've been there when people are on their deathbed, and it's like, I didn't live a good life. I, I, didn't, I didn't serve the Lord like I used to. You want to know something that'll kill you? You say, man, I didn't spend enough time with my kids. I was too focused on work. When, it's, when you're on your deathbed, you will not regret spending too much time with your kids. So are you living in light of this? And this song will invite us into the cosmic battle that Christ began as a baby 2,000 years ago. Let me pray. Father God, we need wisdom and we need your spirit to guide us, convict us, help us to be a kingdom-minded people and an eternity-minded people. Uh, Lord, we love you, but increase our love for you. And in this song, um, help us exalt the name of your son. And we need you to give us a, a better understanding of what's really at stake here on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.